Thank you, Dee. Last week, we heard that, if you remember, say it with me, that faith looks forward, faith looks backward, and faith looks upward. This morning, we're going to talk primarily about those latter two. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is interesting as we define faith over these, these next weeks because it, it gives a line, it defines faith, and then it gives an example of someone in Scripture who lived by faith. And today we have the first biographical piece, if you will. Um, it defines faith in verse 3, and then it gives us the example of faith in verse 4. So let's read. It's short and sweet. Hebrews 11, verse 3, and verse 4. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. All right, Bible trivia. How many words did Abel say? How many words? None. Over the course of this book, we have this many words that Abel uttered, and still, as we read here in verse 4, his blood still speaks. He still speaks. So this morning, we learned through the life of Abel quite a bit about faith. That's where we're going. Now, don't, uh, this placement here in verse 4 is huge. Right? We just defined an aspect of faith in verse 3, and then comes Abel in verse 4. What does verse 3 say about faith? What's the general concept? It's talking about through that which is visible. All this was not made by other things that are visible. So in other words, it was made by an invisible creator. Why is Abel first? Why is he the first one to be listed out of everyone? Because he was the first person to quite literally take that aspect of faith to its fullest degree. So we had Adam and Eve. They walked in the garden and they talked one-on-one with God, right? And now we have Abel who hadn't seen God in the same way. John MacArthur probably says it most concise. Here's what he says. Abel, on the other hand, was the first man of faith. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve had no need of faith in the same way as their descendants. They lived in the paradise of Eden and had direct contact with God. Their children were the first to have need of faith in its fullest sense. So that's why Abel was listed here and right after, right after we learned that faith is belief in the creator, right? faith that the world, the universe was created by the word of God. So far, so good. I was thinking about this the other day, and it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, what would it have been like to be Adam and Eve's children? Right? And then all of these like parental phrases started to flood my mind. Right? The, um, oh, I, I, I'm pretty confident I said this two Wednesdays ago to a kid at youth group. I'm like, what were you thinking when dot, dot? <laughs> what, 
What were you thinking when God gave you a brain? Use it, right? And can you imagine Cain and Abel being like, Mom, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. And Mom's like, well, I know, but I have experience. You don't. It would have just been so interesting to be their children, wouldn't it? They who walked and talked with God. So kids, you're not going to like this, but your parents, the Lord has put parental influences in your life, and more times than you want them to be, they're probably right. That's just a total aside. This is a complete aside. Um, and, and that's why here in youth ministry, we're always about upholding the authority, that God-given familial authority that he's put, um, that he's put down. Uh, anyhow, total aside. Abel had need of faith to believe that God was the creator, the first man in all of history to live by faith. That's Abel. Here, let's look at Hebrews 11.4 again. Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So he brings an offering to God. It's a more acceptable offering than Cain, which brings up the idea of we can't talk about Abel without talking about Cain, his brother, right? The two are a juxtaposition in, over, and against one another. So we're going to be talking, as we understand what this text says about faith, we're going to be talking about both Abel's faith and Cain's lack thereof. So if you turn with me back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 4, D-read it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his faith face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So here we see that there are offerings taking place. Let's review it. There's, who wants to be the good guys? Okay, you guys are good guys. Abel's offering is what? What does he bring to the Lord? He's bringing his firstborn, something that is important, something that is very valuable, He's bringing a firstborn of his flock. He's bringing an animal. And what's Cain? You guys are Cain for the rest of this morning. Sorry. What's Cain bring? The first of the garden. And it doesn't say anything about first fruit. And it maybe, just, maybe it was just kind of the leftovers. right? So Cain's bringing of the garden and of the animals. And what does this text say as to why God had regard for Abel? offering. What does it say? Look back in there. We're about verse 4, verse 5. Well, it doesn't actually say exactly why God had regard. It doesn't specifically say here why God had regard for Abel's, but not for Cain's. But then, of course, you leave it to theologians to try to figure out things that aren't really there, right? (laughs) So there are two primary, and they're both faithful, but there are two primary stances on this. Why did God regard Abel's sacrifice, and why did he disregard Cain's sacrifice? 
Now, the, again, they are both faithful, and they, this demonstrates to us that there are godly people on different sides of issues, but we can still come together in unity. Right? That's what this demonstrates. And, and the, two, the two things are these. One, Abel's was accepted because it was a blood sacrifice. And the second, Cable's, Cable's, <laughs> that's a new name for you. Abel was accepted because it was a posture of the heart. How many of you have a study Bible? About half of your study Bibles will take the first stance, and about half of your study Bibles will take the second stance. So we're going to walk through this and apply some of these principles, because they're biblical principles, um, to the rest of our time together. So first, Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was a blood sacrifice. Folks of this view will point to texts like Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. We have it here on the screen. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So they'll say, well, God can't accept Abel unless his sins are forgiven. And without the shedding of blood, there's no sins. Therefore, Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was a blood sacrifice. It was an animal. And they'll say this whole book, folks in this view, will say this whole book is about a picture of, of Christ and of his blood. And so in the greater context, they'll say, well, no, it doesn't specifically say in Genesis why Abel's was accepted, but the whole book does. And they'll say, Adam and Eve, what happened after they sinned? They felt shame, right? They felt naked. And what does God then do? He kills an animal and takes its skin and he covers their shame. So they say, well, it looks like God at some point in time must have just through special revelation showed up on the scene and said, all right, here is how you make offerings to me. That's what, that's what they say is, and that's demonstrated, they'll say, through like Noah. Noah takes clean and dirty animals on the ark. Well, how did he know which ones were clean to sacrifice? So they say God showed up at some point in time through special revelation and told them how to do it. And they say, well, Cain obeyed and Abel didn't. Cain gave an animal and Abel didn't. What does this view teach us about faith or the essence of faith? It teaches us this. If God, if indeed God really did come down and through special revelation say how an offering must be made, then Abel believed God and was totally obedient to what God said. That's a picture of faith, is total obedience. And therefore, the blood of the sacrifice would have covered his sin. Faith is total obedience. That takes us to the second view, which says, what are you doing? Don't try to read into the book, into the Bible, something that's not there. It says, read it and see what it says. So let's do it. Verse 3 and 4, Genesis 4, verse 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. It doesn't say anything as to, well, God showed up and did this and did that and said this. It doesn't. 
And Hebrews doesn't give us too much of an inclination either as to why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't, except one thing. What? By faith. By faith, Abel offered to God. So, we know that God loves a cheerful giver, and we know that God requires our best. When we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, then these things will be added to you. Time is like, there are passages, and like the widow's might, um, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of your all. And Abel, by faith, we read, gave his best. He gave his firstborn and trusting. And what happens when you give your firstborn or your first fruit, that which comes first to you, what are you effectively doing? You're saying, God, I don't know that another one's coming, but I'm going to trust you to provide. God requires our all. Which starts to beg the question, what would have happened had he not given his best? Had Abel not given his best and said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to keep my firstborn. I'm not going to step out in faith. I'm not going to worship fully. I mean, Malachi talks about that, doesn't he? In Malachi 1, and this is verse 6, 7, 8 in Malachi. Present that to your governor or present blemished sacrifices to your governor Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Had Abel brought something second rate, it could be a different outcome. Cain gave his second rate. He gave that which was second hand to the Lord. And what was the result? How often are we in that same place, kind of as Cain, where we half-heartedly give, where we roll into bed one night and say, oh my goodness, I don't pray today. And we mumble a prayer on our bed as we drift into sleep, as our primary prayer time. How often are we, and, and this, is, this is just an example in my mind, when an offering plate passes, and I'm like, oh my, I, I forgot to, and I feel like I, I just should, but it's so often not wholehearted look. How often are we like Cain giving half-hearted worship to God? So what does this second view? The second view that Abel totally trusted God, that Abel gave his best, to God. What does this teach us about faith or the essence of faith? And it's this that faith is an utter reliance on God Himself. We must bring everything to the God who deserves everything. Complete worship. And in that utter reliance, knowing that He who owns the cattle on a thousand hills will provide when we give our best. About a year ago, I was, I was wrestling with this concept because time and time again, the Bible uses the term firstborn, first fruits, giving of your best. And, and at the time, I, I had a search firm, right? I was a recruiter. 
And in my mind, I had said, all right, so income, personal income is one thing, but business income is another. And, and this, I'm just here to stir the pot, just to get us thinking. And, okay, so personal income is one thing. And then I started thinking, first fruits, first fruits. Lord, what does it look like on my financial statement to give the first fruit of income to a company? Because, of course, you're just going to give off of net profit. At least that's where my mind was. And then I just started thinking, well, should I give off of gross revenue, gross profit, EBITDA? Like, what does it mean nowadays with first fruits? And as I was wrestling with this question, by the way, I still haven't come to an answer. <laughs> I, I was chatting with some missionary friends from Cambodia. They live in an agrarian lifestyle and the farmer mindset. So this speaks a lot to their culture. And I said, help me walk through this this first fruit concept. And they, they said this. They gave me the story. This is how they answered it. They said, they gave me the story of a Cambodian gentleman in the villages by the name of Nil. And Nil had, uh, he's about 60 years old. He's a father. He's a grandfather. And he's a farmer of Dorian. I'm like, what on earth is a Dorian? It, a Dorian is a fruit. We got a picture for you. It looks kind of like a mace. <laughs> A Dorian in Southeast Asia is called the king of fruits. These things are huge. And they say the inside tastes like heaven. Now, one of these things will go to market. Now, remember, you're in third world Cambodia, actually in one of the most impoverished parts of the nation. And one of these guys that will go for $10 or $15 a pop. Now, these are U.S. dollars. These aren't Cambodian money. So that's a lot of money. And the first one of the year is worth even more because folks have been waiting all year long to taste the fruit, right? They've been waiting all year, and so they're sold at a premium at about 50 U.S. dollars. That's the first fruit. Who'd pay 5X for, you know, for a taste of fruit for $50? And Nil, trusting God, took his first Dorian, his first fruit, and he took it and he gave it away. He gave away his first fruit. I'm like, how does he know a blight's not going to hit the other ones? He's only going to get 10 or 15 of these fruits from his tree any given year. 10 or 15, and he gives the first one away. How do you know a blight isn't going to come? How do you know someone's not going to come and steal the fruit? You don't. But in a very tangible way, no, what has he done? By faith, he has presented to God the first and says, Lord, I'm stepping out by faith. It's yours. It's yours. I want to demonstrate that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that Abel demonstrated with bringing the firstborn of his flock. And by the way, what does Genesis chap uh, chapter 4 verse 4 say? What did Abel bring? Did he just bring one firstborn? So that word firstborn, it can be singular or plural. We're not really sure, but we, the, uh, the writer tips, uh, tips his hand to us. Of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So this is probably some sizable offering, some best, a, a sizable offering from Abel stepping out in faith. Well, let's press on. I'll leave 
of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 11, 4. What happens next? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Through which? Through what? Through faith. Not through the offering. Through faith, he was commended as righteous. Because what he did was the result of faith. Catch that. It's not the offering itself. It's not the deed itself. It's what the faith. What he did was the result of his faith. Last week, Zeb said it, and time and time again we hear, especially working with with young kids, young people, we hear a lot that, well, that was the God of the Old Testament, right? We hear, and this is the God of the New Testament, and we hear that all the time. But last week, Zeb reminded us that everyone in the Old Testament is saved the exact same way as everyone even today. And how is that? By grace through faith. We are all saved by faith. Abel was saved by faith. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable offering, a more acceptable sacrifice. And faith was the conduit through which everything flowed, through which the righteousness flowed down from God to Abel. Through what? Through faith. Abel believed God. Abel was commended as righteous. We hear this language time and time again in the Bible, don't we? Abraham's coming in a few weeks. Noah's in a few weeks. Where through faith, they were commended as righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was counted him as righteousness. How does righteousness come? Through faith. So faith is belief in God, in his word, in his work. And we see evidently that faith is defined not just by its substance, but true faith is defined by its result. What does true faith result in? righteousness and the result of true faith in jesus christ is always righteousness the bible ties these together time and time again doesn't it we read the phrase the righteous shall live by faith faith is the prerequisite for righteousness Through faith, we are made righteous. Not through what we do. Not through what we bring. Not through anything other than through faith. Romans 1 has this phrase. Romans 1.17. For in it, we're talking about the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here, Zeb actually prayed about this a few minutes ago. Talking about the imputation, the fact that God, in his 
sovereignty and through the work of Christ on the cross imputes to us or gives us his stamp of righteousness. That's what this passage is talking about. And some scholars say, if you look up there and see the word of, for in it the righteousness of, some scholars will say, well, another way, or maybe a better way to translate it is the word from, where it would say, for in it the righteousness from God is revealed from faith for faith. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Now this, again, this... The language here is fascinating. The righteousness comes from God. Through what? How does the righteousness come in the first place? It says it comes from faith. The righteousness of God or the righteousness from God is revealed from faith. What's the result of faith? Righteousness. And it results in, what's the purpose? For faith. From faith results in righteousness for the purpose of faith. From, comes from faith, the result is righteousness. Purpose is, kind of sounds like sanctification, doesn't it? We see this language again, time and time again. Hebrews 10, I'll just read this now. We'll come back to it in a moment. Hebrews 10, 38. This is immediately before this passage. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The righteous shall live by faith. The origin comes from Habakkuk chapter 2. This phrase comes from Habakkuk chapter 2. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like Cain. And then like Abel, doesn't it? Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. So friends, are we living by faith? Or is our soul puffed up within us? So far, we've seen that Faith is full obedience to God, to his word. That it is utter reliance on him, and it is offering our best worship to him. And we've also seen that faith, true faith, always results in righteousness. And that the righteous shall continue to live. How? Back to home base. Home base, here in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through his faith, he was commended as righteous. And what was the result of, Cain, of Abel's righteousness? What was the result of his righteousness? At least on an earthly sense. 
Well, John tells us, John tells us in 1 John 3, he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. His righteousness led to his death. His faith led to his death. But even still, through his faith, what did we read? Though he died, Abel still speaks. Abel died because he was righteous. His brother, evil. Now, if we may center in a page before, the end of chapter 10. The end of Hebrews chapter 10. This is the larger context. This is the reason why Hebrews 11 was written. Verse 38 and 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That is why Hebrews 11 was written. So that the, the, uh, the, in, uh, the Jews in the day to whom this was written would not fall back into Judaism, would not fall back to something that they knew, would not fall back to something comfortable, but that they would press on and preserve their souls that they will put all of their faith in Jesus, that they will continue on despite what might come down the road, and through their faith, what? They are commended as righteous, and they continue to live by faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. Though Abel died because of his faith, through his faith, he still speaks. His righteousness and his faith still speak to us today. And more importantly, he was accepted by God. So for us, may we not shrink back. May we not shrink back but may we persevere with folks like Abel and the many more we will be speaking of in the coming weeks. May we grab on and press on in faith despite what may come. Again, back to 1 John chapter 3. What happened? What does John say as to why Abel was killed? Because of his faith. But then John draws a parallel here in verse 13. He says, he was, why was he murdered? Because his own deeds were evil, Cain's, and his brothers, Abel's, were righteous. So do not be despised, surprised, church, that the world hates you, that the world despises you. It says, look to Abel. He was righteous. He was the first righteous man in this sense. And what happened to him? He was killed. So don't be surprised that the world hates you.
We read it last week in 1 Peter, didn't we? That through many trials and sufferings, your faith may be, what? Tested. The genuineness of your faith may be tested, though for now, for a little while. No matter the difficulties, no matter the, the surgeries, as we talked about early, or the, the diagnoses, or the terrible, the, the, the terrible uh, diseases that ravage our hearts, our minds, even our bodies, the relationships, or the 76% of Americans who think the economy is going to go like this, no matter what, the true faith perseveres. It also perseveres through the best of times. When we so easily drift, does it not? Doesn't that just spark a flame? Doesn't that just spark a flame that Abel's blood still speaks to us today through his righteousness and that God, thousands of years later, has not disregarded him, but God has accepted him through his faith? Doesn't that just give you the confidence that no matter what, we shall fight on we shall press on that we shall live by faith in radical obedience to this word, in radical submission to Jesus, in, in radical generosity for him, um, including with our, our money, our time, everything. With VBS, that's next month. With, with VBS, next month, just saying, Lord, we want to step forward. And obey. That's the legacy of Abel's blood. And for you and for me, isn't it such a joy to press on? And yet, as much as he compels us, his blood, his story compels us to press on, his blood is nothing compared to Jesus. Let's finish. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, catch this, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I didn't realize how much Abel showed up in the Bible. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel. Abel's blood still speaks to us today to press on. And it demonstrates to us that faith is, is radical obedience. That it is full submission and appropriate heart posture to God. And that it results in righteousness. But that's nothing compared to that which Christ has done, is it not? Despite the temporal difficulties, the malignments, the persecution, Abel pressed on. 
complete submission to Jesus, utter reliance and faith anchored in God, and the righteous shall live by faith, from faith, and for faith. Abel's blood helps us to understand the very essence of faith, but it is totally powerless to cover my sin, to cover your sin. One, the blood of one so much greater does that, does it not? See, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, the blood of our Lord and our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. And because of that sprinkled, sprinkled blood, friends, we can swing out into eternity with full assurance that God has given us his stamp of righteousness. He has given us his stamp of righteousness, and because of that, we may be in communion with him. He's inviting you, he is inviting me to step out in faith one way or the other be it in radical obedience, be it in, in generosity of our abilities, of our time, being just to continue to walk by faith day in and day out. Some of us need to put our trust in him for the first time today. But all of us must come to him by faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have seen this morning that Abel's blood is even a joy to us because it drives us to press onward. Lord, that you, even then as you do today, it is faith that you, through faith, commend as righteous. So Lord, may we bring to you a full sacrifice of praise. Lord, may we bring to you a faith that is full of reliance on the King himself, on Jesus himself, whose blood covers, even expunges our sin. Lord, to he, to you, who is the mediator of a new covenant, Lord, would you Help us step out in faith day in and day out. And even now, will you give each one of us that one thing that you're saying, take that step. Press on in faith. Lord, would you help us? Would you be with us this morning? In Christ's name we pray.